Hey everybody, welcome to Listen Money Matters. To be good is noble, but to show others how to be good is nobler and no trouble. My name is Thomas and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you in this lovely, lovely morning and what are you drinking? I'm great. And uh, they're, they're like building something outside so the windows close and I'm just sweating profusely. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Dude, they finally are almost done building the house next to mine. So... They're gone are the days of me recording a video and then having to stop for a bulldozer. Oh, <laughs> start again. Stop. Start. <laughs> I, I can't even remember one sentence when I do a video. I don't know how you just kind of do it. I'm actually changing up the way I do it. So I used to just like make just a very bare bones bullet list and then just ad lib everything. I've been experimenting with actually writing a script and then putting my iPad up next to the camera and saying it. Uh, solely to cut down on recording time. So, and it it did work the oh, last time I did. Dude, so we're gonna see. This is what you have to do. Since since you're a YouTube guy, go to YouTube, search like uh, like homemade teleprompter or make your own teleprompter. Oh, and there are ridiculous ones with an iPad. And I I actually started. I'm like eighty percent through, which is most of my projects in life. And then I just stopped. <laughs> but like you would actually, it's it's pretty sweet because I I'm better like writing it out and saying mm. like something thoughtful than just like what I do here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know if you're uh, friends with Caleb Wojcik, but he did a video kind of like unboxing thing of like one you can buy for an iPad. Personally, you know, I know like Hank and John do teleprompters on Crash Course and stuff like that, but you have to be very good to make it look like you're not using one if you are using one. So I like to just take the memorize a few lines and then say them approach. And I think it makes me a better presenter for live events as well because I'm like forcing myself to recall things mm. on the fly. So that, that's just a personal opinion though I, th- I know a lot of people use teleprompters and do well with them so, so maybe on topic um if you were doing something live like a ted talk you could have it all written down and you could be speaking and then you could just like pause and be like line <laughs> <laughs> i feel like you someone could- show me the teleprompter one more time <laughs> yeah exactly. you can build that into a talk probably if you're doing a ted talk our guest today did a tedx talk recently so uh, we got our friend Adam Carroll back on the show. What is it, that third time you've been on the show? This is the third time. Actually, I think this is three and a half because last week didn't really work. So we're, at, this, at is, what this point, is a reboot. At what point do we bring you on as third co-host then, huh? Uh, <laughs> say, if that's an open invite, I love to banter <laughs> with you guys. I mean, I, that's kind of like the, like the MO of this show. You know, bring a guest on enough times, he becomes the co-host. So. Yeah, seriously, you're, you're the most prolific guest right now, so. There we go. I love that, yes. man. That's awesome. Andrew, you didn't tell me what you're drinking, though. Uh, I am just drinking water, and I actually meant to ask you guys, because it's it's 10, 14 a.m. over here, and I know it's earlier yeah. there, but if you guys were down for beer, I was going to crack one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm drinking milk, so uh-huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that for a while, but maybe in the next one we record, I will grab a beer. And it's got some pear cider in the fridge, so maybe I'll grab one of those when it becomes time for beer. If you're just that eager, Andrew. I'm always eager. <laughs> but anyway, Adam, so you withdrew $10,000 and had your kids play Monopoly with it. I did. You did a TEDx talk on it. So explain why you would hand children $10,000. <laughs> and are you inviting so, well, other w- people over? You know? Yes, it's the Carroll <laughs> family Monopoly night. Come on over, man. Winner takes all. We, we decided... Uh, 
well, my kids love to play Monopoly. They're they're uh, board game and ball game, card game. I mean, they just love games. And uh, when they play Monopoly, they play these marathon games of Monopoly that last for days and days and days. And one Saturday, we were playing this marathon game, and the kids were playing kind of outside the rules of the game. Like they were buying each other out of jail and loaning each other money to buy properties and just kind of generally changing the rules. And I kept saying, guys, this is not awesome to each other. Buying each other out of jail? Like I would pay to keep my sister in jail. (laughs) <laughs> right? I know. And I, I was kind of like, what are you guys doing? They said, oh, we just want her on the board with us. And um, and then the whole loaning each other money, I said, you know, guys, you borrow money from the bank, you don't do it. And the whole point of Monopoly, I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know the the, the end goal of Monopoly? To, uh, to have, to have, yeah, make everyone else bankrupt, I think. To bankrupt every other player. It's not to make the most money or any. It's to bankrupt everyone else around the board. Unscrupulous robber barons, the board game. <laughs> That's right. And and interestingly enough, the lady who created it, uh, her intent was like to teach uh, more of a socialistic society. And then whoever whoever got a, a hold of it changed the the nature of the game Monopoly. And then it was all about you know, really? capitalism and commercialism so, and stuff like that. So yeah. Even hid huh. the socialism undertones and your kids still picked up on it. They did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're very, very savvy. <laughs> so, so I, I was playing with them and I thought, I wonder if the money were real, if they would play differently. And, um, because you know, they're, it's all just paper chips, right? They're just throwing paper money around. And right. so I told my wife that I was going to pull 10 grand out and, um, she kind of freaked a little bit at first. And she's like, do not put this on social media. I do not want people to know that we have this kind of cash in our house. <laughs> and so one Sunday, we, um, I got picked up the, the cash on Friday, which was kind of a funny story because I went into the, the credit union where, where we bank. And I said, I need, and actually I got out $9,990 because, you know, if, you're, if you pull out ten grand, it's flagged. And, um, and so I pulled out $9,990. And said, I need all of these denominations of bills. And it was basically all the ones you would find on a Monopoly board with the exception of the $500 bill. Yeah. And they were like, what? All of a sudden, there's five tellers around this window. And they're like, what are you doing with this money? Were you like sweating and I was like, when you were asking them? Like- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you kind of like look over your shoulder like, I hope no one's in here that's sketchy at all. Um <laughs> But they said, so what are you doing with this money? And I was like, ah, it's fine. We're going to Prairie Meadows, which is a horse racetrack, like a gaming <laughs> casino type place. <laughs> and, uh, and then I told them what I was doing. And, <laughs> yeah. So I did. I told them what I was doing. And, and okay. uh, they were like, oh, we want to know wh- how it turned out. And so it was fun. So, so Sunday we played the game and, and it did change the way they played. So it was, yeah, it was an amazing experiment. Now, question: Were they playing for the ten thousand, or was there like some sort of token prize up for grabs, or or was it no prize at all? Well, so at the beginning, you know, my my boys, my youngest especially, who's this money, he's kind of the most money hungry of all three of them. Uh, like this is the kid at four and five years old. If there were there was change or money sitting on my bedside table or a dresser, he'd walk in and he'd go, "Oh, it's my lucky day!" And he would like <laughs> you know take push those off into his hand and go put it in his bank. Um, so he asked if they were going to keep it all, and I said no, but I will give you guys a prize at the end. So the winner get got twenty bucks, second mm-hmm. place got fifteen, and third place got ten. So they did get some money out of it, and that okay, uh, I think candidly that helped 
uh, change some of their decisions. All right. So I'm interested to know how they did they at least stop breaking the rules or did they become like much more cutthroat? How did this work? Yeah, so this is a good question. So each of them has a money personality when they play Monopoly. So my daughter plays entirely for chance and community chess cards. She That's all she cares about because she knows like she's going to get that one card where everyone has to pay her $100 per property or whatever. <laughs> and um, and my, my middle son is a very strategic player who buys all of the railroads, <clears throat> all of the utilities. Uh. And then he, he'll buy, you know, Boardwalk and Park Place and try and get people to land on it and then, you know, bankrupt them that way. Normally. I was my about youngest to son, say he plays like me until he said Boardwalk and Park Place. Yeah. Well, so this is what changed. My, and then my youngest one buys everything he lands on with no exception. So if he has okay. the money, he's buying it. <laughs> and he's usually cash poor, you know, halfway through and then he's cash yeah. rich at the end. Um, so what changed was my, my daughter still played for chance in community chess. She really did not change her mode of play whatsoever. Okay. My middle son, he still, bought, um, he still bought the utilities and he still bought the railroads. But instead of Boardwalk and Park Place, he bought, um, oh gosh, what did he buy? Uh, Oriental and Baltic Avenues, which are right after yeah. passing go, right? And yep. he put hotels on them right away. Didn't even bother putting houses. And he bankrupted everyone on those two properties because people yep. kept landing on him and they were paying him 800 bucks a crack. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, so Nolan, why did you buy those properties? And he, he looked at me and he's like, dad, they're just more affordable. So <laughs> <laughs> when's your, when's so your was, like teach your kids about finance book coming out? <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that, Andrew is people have been asking me, so this is a book, right? You have to put this in a book. And I think what I want to do is I want to create the foolproof or fail-proof allowance method. And it's kind of all about money-savvy kids and how do you raise money-savvy kids? Because I think mine are you know, head and shoulders above probably most adults right now in terms of what they know. Um, but it's all about some of the choices we give them and, and um, you know, really giving them money decisions to make. And that was the whole yeah. point of the TED Talk, right? Was that money today isn't real. And kids are, they're picking up on everything that we do with money. So when they're at the grocery store and they see us swipe a credit card, they don't, you know, many of them don't equate that we're spending money. They just, you know, if you want to buy something, you just have to have a card. Adam, you like, yeah. just answered this question I had over the weekend. So this, this past weekend, and obviously this will go live later, it was Father's Day. And um, I was hanging out at uh, Laura's parents' house, and her uh, sister-in-law's parents were there. And I was talking to him, and he was like, you know, he paid for his – he has three daughters. He paid for their college, um, you know, basically gave them a good education. But, like, he's not going to leave them money when he dies. And, like, he's like, I gave them the right tools to succeed, which was far better than my parents did for me. So I succeeded because he gave them more than he got. And I said – well, I right. asked him, I'm like, well, so you paid for their education, right? You, you line them up to succeed. Now, like, how can they do better than that? Like, or is like now they can just never do better for their kids. Right. And, and he was like, well, that's their problem. And he was like, ah, you know, whatever. And I was like, well, <laughs> damn, like, what can I do better for my kids other than that? And I think, I think you kind of like landed on it where it's, yeah, you pay for college, but that's all the way at like 18. And it's this like little lessons up and until that point that build these awesome people. I think oh, totally. That's, yeah. It's we, so yeah. we went, it's a great story or, or a, a good point because we were in Minnesota uh, last week 
and we went to a Twins game and went to the Mall of America and the Water Park of America and just just had a good two or three days up there. And we gave our kids $50 each. And it was part of their allowance, part of some jobs they had done at home. But we had given them a little bit and said, all right, this is for you guys, but you guys are going to buy everything. We'll buy your meals, but anything you want. If you want to do activities at the mall, you want to buy stuff at the game, you want snacks at the game, that's all on you. And they knew they had that amount of money. And we went with another family, and their kids are probably like eight, somewhere around eight, 12, and 14. And the entire time it was, Dad, will you get me this? Dad, I want this. Can I get this? Mom, can I have money for this? And the parents were like, this is oppressive. How come your kids aren't doing it? And I said, we gave them money. The, the decision is theirs. So instead of dropping you know, 70 to 80 or 100 bucks a kid, which I'm sure they did, it's like the kids knew exactly what their limit was, and there was things they could buy and things they couldn't. That's so. brilliant. And knowing your kids, yeah. they all came back with a hundred dollars, right? <laughs> they each they each yeah, yeah, right. Double down, right? They're betting in the back window or something. So they they each uh, they each came back with at least fifteen and I think my one son had like twenty two dollars left because he he was oh, wow. he was telling his siblings like if we pool our money we can buy this snack and then we'll just share it and you know, stuff like that. So they that do, they get smart. creative. They get creative and and I um, do I do hope your kids did the the what is it like the ropes course like thing they did at the Mall of America yes it was that they is loved the, it. like the most worth the money thing to do there it's they so loved much fun it. so Andrew it's twelve I think twelve ninety nine or thirteen ninety nine or something like that but it's this three story ropes course Whoa. where you're harnessed in and the kids just get to traverse this. This major obstacle course. Do adults get and, to do uh, it too, or yeah, yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Oh, I think God. it's called the Ghostly Gangplank or something. It's like SpongeBob yeah. themed. Uh, yeah, it's just like this three-story, almost like skeleton of a building because it's like made of steel beams. But then there's all these ropes course things, and at the top, I don't know if you've ever played Assassin's Creed, but there's like a plank just sticking out, and you can stand on it, and it just like it looks like it does in the game where you're just like on top of the minarets in uh you know in istanbul or something just looking over the whole city it's That's... really cool so, okay, so when you're up there though is it very challenging or are you just kind of doing it it's like kind of cool because you're up there like is there any endurance type like you have to hold on to a rope there there yeah you can make it as challenging as you want because i don't know if you've ever done a rope course before but this one has several different uh routes and some of the some of like the balancing on the on the specific obstacles is very difficult difficult if you don't hang on to the handholds so it's not gonna be like a super crazy workout but i did do one and there was like you know three levels of challenging whatever so me and my sister we do like the most challenging it was like really tough like Mm. i don't i found out i have like basically no upper body strength (laughs) and and so these these like uh there was this group of like people who were like on some work retreat they went on it as well and uh, like this one guy, like, he was just like kind of overweight. He had like clearly much less upper body strength than me. He got stuck up there, and they had to get a ladder to kind of. Oh, uh, it's kind of funny. We did one at Camp Nerd Fitness <laughs> I'm a as well. Person. <laughs> <laughs> we did one at Camp Nerd Fitness, and it was very tough. And it was uh, it was actually required that you did it with a team. Like it wouldn't have been possible without teamwork. And it was a lot of fun too. But yeah, I loved it. There's one in St. Louis that I've been meaning to do, so maybe I'll get down there this summer and do it. So, but yeah, so uh, the question I had because in the TED talk you mentioned that you had met a guy who I think he was like 20 years old, and uh, you said his parents were from like Honduras Cuba. or something. Cuba, that's yeah, right. Cuba. Yeah. And uh, so 
they said like when he was like 15 years old we're gonna pay for your meals we're gonna pay for you know your the roof of your head and that's basically it and then like you get 50 bucks a week so and, and you said he was doing really well right yeah, this is a kid. So I, I was at a speaking event, presenting at a college. This kid came up to me afterwards, and he said, "My name is Jose. I'm from you know my, my parents were born in Cuba, um, and when I was 13, they told me that it's all on me." And I said, "What do you mean it was all on you?" And he said, "They would give me food, shelter, and 50 bucks. Uh, I think it was 50 bucks a month. I don't even think it was a week. It was 50 bucks wow. a month, and he had to buy his own toiletries. He had to buy." Um, school clothes, school supplies. I mean, literally anything that he wanted, if he wanted to go out with friends or whatever, it was all on him. So he ended up getting a job, which was kind of, you know, that's, that's what they do, right? And yeah. so he got a part-time job. He started managing his money. And I said, well, what was it like? And he goes, oh, I hated my, my parents. I hated my parents for a year because I thought it was so unfair that they were making me do that when all my other friends, their parents are buying them stuff. And then he said, I realized about the time I was 16, it was the smartest thing they could have ever done. And, he, and I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, because all of my friends were buying Abercrombie and Fitch jeans. And I was going to you know, Goodwill and buying them for $250. And I, I looked exactly like them. They just spent you know, uh, way, way more than I did. And he said, I learned the value of a dollar. And by the time I met him, you know, he was 20. He had $20,000 saved in a money market account. He was on a full ride scholarship to college because he had he had just you know worked really hard about getting scholarships for school, and I maintain that it was all about the fact that it was his responsibility, yeah. right? And as yeah. much as yeah. as parents and Andrew, your story rings true here. As much as parents want to give their kids everything they didn't have, um, I also think that you give your kids so much that they no longer know how to survive on their own. And, and that's, that's part of the problem. Now, some people, I've gotten feedback on the TED Talk on YouTube. Some people will say, well, a seven-year-old's not a 20-year-old, and you can't make co- you know, comparisons <laughs> on that. And you know, while that's true, you'd be amazed what my seven-year-old understands when it comes to money because we have the conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm amazed sometimes what 20-year-olds don't understand because they've never had the conversation. Yeah, I often wonder if... Um our perceptions of what kids can understand and what kids do understand as a product of, you know, our expectations in the first place, you know, we don't expose them to certain things early enough. So yeah, I I think that kids can understand a lot more about money than we give them credit for. Totally. So my question is, um, how close to, uh, Jose's sort of like parents method are you planning on implementing with your kids? Like what's the ideal amount of money responsibility for a kid in, well, in your mind? It's funny you ask because I told my daughter, I, you know, when I was rehearsing the TED talk, she listened to me a couple times and, and gave me some actually some pretty valuable feedback on it. And she, um, she said, dad, are you going to do that to me? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> Potentially, if you, I said, yeah, potentially, uh, but I'll let you know, and we'll ramp up for it, and you know, I'll give you an idea what's to come. And she's like, okay, so am I going to have to buy my own shampoo and stuff? And I said, well, we'll talk about how that all works, because you know, it's like my wife said, I don't know that I want to have to take him to the store every time. And I said, well, we'll figure out how we do that. But it's really, it's more about here's your budget. How are you going to stay within your budget? Right? Yeah. And that lesson needs to be learned before they leave the house and they're 18 and get a credit card. And they've been told, don't get a credit card over and over again. And then the first <laughs> time a credit card company's like, no, 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 no. here's a thousand dollars. It's yours. 
and they go ape shit with it, you know, that's part of the problem. Yeah. So, so I think to answer your question, Thomas, I think we will use it and it will be to varying degrees, but I'm going to create a, a pretty comprehensive system, I think, and make it available on my site too. Cause I think parents need to know this stuff. I, yeah. I think the stuff you're doing is super cool and you're like really creative with what you're doing. And I, I'm just curious, like, did, did you just kind of like pull this out of air? Did your parents kind of do similar but maybe less extreme things with you? Like what set you up to kind of parent like this? I, I think it's very aspirational for a lot of people. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, my dad, um, my dad was a big one for giving us a set of, amount of money and just saying it's yours to deal with. Um, so that, you know, we kind of borrowed from him. And, um, other than that, you know, my, my parents, I thought we were wealthy. I thought we were really affluent growing up. And my dad kind of laughs about that now and said, you know, we, the reason we got a Christmas bonus was to pay off our huge credit card at the end of the year. <laughs> and he, he, he's a very, like my dad's a very, um, abundant guy. So everything, he lives in abundance all the time and knows that it's right around the corner and, and it served him well. Um, but I would say that my wife and I are, are a, definitely a, a joint team in this in that we are certainly more frugal together than I would be apart because I, I tend to be a spender, but she's more of an accumulator. And so it's nice having her energy, you know, in the house because it's like, oh, we don't need to spend money on that. And as an example, you know, she brought sandwiches on this trip. And whenever we go on vacation, I always think it's no big deal. Let's just buy. We'll, we'll just eat out. But then I look at friends of ours and it's like, they just dropped 50 bucks on a pizza, you know, two pizzas and sodas. <laughs> yeah. And and my kids are perfectly fine eating Pringles and peanut butter sandwiches. So um, yeah. I think at some point, and we, we take, you know, like we're taking a pretty lavish vacation at the end of this year and it won't be no sandwiches allowed on this trip. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, we splurge and we do, we have fun times, but but we also do it somewhat strategically. And I think our kids are, are picking up on that. So I would say yeah. I'm somewhat of a byproduct of my growing up and also of my wife's influence. That's cool. Yeah. I actually did a lot of peanut butter sandwiches in Japan because we were there for like the first week and I realized like we're eating out three times a day. That's expensive. Yeah. Or I can just pop down at the convenience store, bag of bread's like a dollar, peanut butter lasts forever. And that's like $4. And uh, that's all I need. <laughs> Get some of those big carrots, and we're good to go. So, like breakfast was that every day. Then, so Dude, when we when we sold books, uh, you know, I sold books door to door during the summers in college, and uh, we would remit money back job. to the company. It is a tough job, and but they told us uh, that that books equal money. So if you sell books, it equals money, and that you keep your expenses low to have a big check at the end. And so what we would do is we would we would eat you know PB and J every day uh, on the road and and even when you're going up to houses it was like would you have something small I might be able to take with me to drink and you're like suggesting that they have a can of pop or something that you can have you know but it was great because we we figured out how to live on the cheap and um, yeah so yeah peanut butter sandwiches man it's the way to go it's the way to do it you know. Laura and I are like in maybe like slightly advanced conversations about having kids. We, we've held off for a very long time. And the one thing my, my parents included keep saying to us is that 
kids are really expensive. I think they're like trying to beat us down with like kids are really expensive. Like, I don't know. Kids are really expensive. Do, do you think like with this approach, like, do you feel like your kids are maybe not as expensive because they're kind of not like they're like working for you, like, you know, child labor, but they're, they're keeping their own expenses down and they want it like that. I think there's something to that. Um, and it, and it certainly, it comes at a, at a different age, right? I mean, kids are expensive zero to five mm. because of daycare and food and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, diapers are nuts. It's when they get nuts. like when, when my kids are all beyond five or six, right They're they're I've got a, a eight, 10 and, and 12 year old. Mm. Um, they are really respectful about not spending a lot of money. I mean, they're, they're not, my kids are not wanting kids. And I think there's a difference in the families that they, they sort of set the precedent every time you go into Target, you're going to get a toy. And I've met those people, and they have just shitloads of toys all over their house, but the kids never play with them. Yeah. My kids have like a handful of toys they love, but they would just as soon be outside shooting hoops on a basketball hoop, or they just as soon be outside you know, filling up water balloons and throwing them at each other. So I think you set a precedent as a parent as to how much you're going to spend and what you're going to spend on. And, and, you know, we say things like, guys, how much enjoyment are you really going to get out of that? Because I, I don't think you ought to invest your money in something that you're going to use once. And now they're kind of like, yeah, I'd probably use that two or three times and I'd never use it again. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they are. They're more savvy about that. And I think as a result, you know, they're, they're cheaper for us. So you could, from a completely yeah. selfish perspective, be like, I want to retire early. So I'm going to implement this. And then your kids actually grow up and they're financially savvy, which is yeah. like pretty sweet. Most of us didn't well, get that. And then so they don't my, have to pay for dad's retirement. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, and they don't have to pay exactly. for you. Worry about you know, taking care of me in an old folks home or whatever. <laughs> I, you know, they know, they know, and we're very clear about this and, and open with them about the fact that we're paying off our house early. And we're, you know, we're literally like months away from having our house completely paid off. Oh, and nice. at that point... The goal was all of our other friends are putting money in 529 plans and 401k plans and whatnot. And we have retirement accounts, but we said, you know, for if we buckle down for three years or four years, could we pay off a $350,000 home? And, um, and, you know, so we're, we're months away from doing that. After you do that, well, now you've got equity in the home to buy rental properties. You've got equity in the home if you want to pay for college. There's very little expenses every month. So, you know, if I do one speaking gig, we're covered for the month. So it's like all of the pressure is off and I get to spend time with my kids, which is what most of the dads around me who, you know, live in expensive homes. And this is probably their, their one home. They then have a lake home and maybe another home and they all have SUVs and, you know, Mercedes and Lexus payments in the driveway. And, but they don't get to spend time with their kids. Mm. And, um, and so I think what I'm doing is trying to model the behavior for my kids that if you do for a few years what most people won't do, you can do for the rest of your life what most people can't do. Mm, I like that. Can yeah. You, can you submit that as a catchphrase? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the the whole like having abundance of stuff and not playing with those toys, like you said, it, I mean, it really, I think about that a lot because I don't know, Andrew, you probably can can like identify with this. I've got a zillion games in my Steam library, mm-hmm. and I've got all these video games, and uh, I don't play them. You play two you know? of them. Yeah. <laughs> but when I was a kid, I had like four PlayStation games, and I played them a ton, you know? 
or I'd go out and ride my bike because, like, I just had a bike and a basketball, and that's basically it. And you know, now I can afford to buy basically any game or whatever, and I just spend it working, you know, or not using the things I bought. So it, it makes sense to just make do with what you got, I guess. I've I've heard um, I've heard something similar said. It's like called the, the the paradox of affluence or something like that, and it's that when you have the means to get all this stuff, and you can and do then it changes your life and and it changes your life sometimes making it more complicated, not less complicated. Mm -hmm. So we think, oh, if I have more money, all my problems would be solved. Well, if you have more money, you might have more problems because you've acquired (laughs) more stuff. Like, you know, again, nothing, taking nothing against folks who have boats or second homes, but I think, good God, I don't like keeping up one home. I can't imagine. Yeah cleaning and t- picking up and having extra sets of dishes and blah, blah, all that stuff. And then the boat, you know, they say the, the two best days in your life are the day you buy a boat and the day you sell it. <laughs> so I just assume go rent a boat for a day or, you know, go for a week somewhere and do it as opposed to ha- make sure I have to have that, that going on. Yeah. It's really more than anything. And it's not a judgment call on anybody else, but it's about simplicity. You know, how simple do you want to live? And the more simple you live, uh, the more simple your life is. Yep. Yeah, I, I like going on boats, but I can't imagine having to, I don't know, you got to buy the trailer, and you got to buy a truck, basically, and then you have to learn how to back a boat into the water and all that. <laughs> it's just, I'd rather let somebody's dad do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I totally vibe with that whole simplicity thing, and um, it, it kind of like, so someone had asked on Quora, like, why Mark Zuckerberg always wears, like, the same like stupid shirt or hoodie or whatever. And like, you know, some people are like, well, he's trying to like be like Steve Jobs and he's trying to, you know, make a thing, you know, be cool. And uh, he kind of just said that uh, he's trying to remove decisions that he has to make in his life. So he has more willpower to make the decisions that are more important. And I think it's the same with money where like, uh, I, I would love actually, you know, Laura would really love too if we had a car because we'd visit our parents more, it'd be easy, travel like in half but then we have to deal with the payment and then we have to make sure the gas tank is full and then the car insurance and it's just every like little decision you make i think kind of snowballs absolutely yeah. yeah it does and i found like when you have a lot of stuff there are these like moments of respite from all of it and all your work and everything but in that moment it's really easy to think that getting something else will make you happy like, oh, i got some time to relax. Now I can go get that thing I've been wanting. Or I can go get the new game and play it. And then you just you just added a new thing to your life. And once that little moment is over, it's just like an extra complication, an extra source of stress. So, Adam, you, you're teaching your kids all these things, which I think is awesome. And obviously, you know, you could say, like, uh, financial education is important for the sake of financial education. But, yeah. like... To what ends and like what's the goal and, and like how would you know that you succeeded? Right? Because it's it's cool that they're mm. doing stuff like, you know, not begging you for money at the theme park and whatever, but what does that translate to so you know that like this was worth like the juice was worth the squeeze? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, my my core value, one of my core values, actually two of my core values are freedom and flexibility. And I feel like the decisions we make with them, um, whether I'm sort of infusing those values in them or letting them see that see that that's what I value, and I think I do model that for them. Um, 
you know, what I would like to see if I know it's successful is I'd like to see them make all sorts of really good, solid choices about their life um, that that pursue freedom and flexibility, or at least pursue choice and opportunity and options. And I think ultimately that's what I want. Um, that's what I want for the next generation is I want them to have options and opportunity and not be held down by debt. And so, you know, we've talked about before the documentary that's coming out um, that we've been working on for the past year called Broke, Busted, and Disgusted. And that has a similar message. It's like, you can have everything you want, but you got to do it consciously because you can't just go borrow 80 grand to go to school and then think that, you know, your dream job is waiting for you on the other side. Um, right. So, so you know, I'm, I'm hoping that my kids are getting the message of if you're smart with money, it gives you lots of choices and gives you lots of options. And, um, and I think the other one is, I read one time that it takes two generations to create a Rockefeller-type fortune. And I believe that I am generation one and my kids are generation two. And so what I'm, what I'm hoping to do is, you know, build a really massive net worth throughout my life that passes on to future generations, but that creates endowments and scholarship opportunities and hopefully business, you know, an ongoing business that my kids can step into. Um, and I think that's, that will be a sign of success. Uh, I'm not there yet, obviously, but, but we're building the foundation to do that because I'm certainly not, I'm not generation two in my family. I mean, my, my parents did very well and they built a nice retirement nest egg, but I think they'll be around for a long time, and I, I would guess they'll probably deplete most of it by the time they're gone. Um, same thing with my wife's parents. So I want to be the, the start of this for the Carroll Fortune, right, that mm. funds libraries and scholarship programs and whatever else down the road. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's actually like a much more ambitious goal than just like retiring early or something. Yeah. I think we have yeah, it's a big – and it drives me, you know. I mean, I, I – <laughs> think about that bless you all the time and um uh, and and i want to i make decisions based on not what will my life be 20 years from now but what might my great great grandchildren look like you know 90 years from now and how how well off might they be and i look at john d rockefeller and what he did with his kids in the sense that this is one of the wealthiest families that's ever existed and from the time his kids were young like five or six years old he gave them a quarter a week allowance and a double entry bookkeeping journal and they had to account for every penny they spent save invested and and gave away um, and if they couldn't account for every penny then they wouldn't get the quarter the next week and this is a family that has not diminished their wealth over the years but has actually grown it and they've grown it because of what they've taught or what they've been taught by previous generations. Yeah. Well, if if the kid discussion, you know, ever happens for you or me, I think that'll be the uh, the way to go with go it. Go to you for guidance. Yeah. <laughs> My kids are gonna get a quarter a week. So um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. We, Inflation's we know you no matter. For like uh, more than a year now, um, and I, it's awesome that like one. I mean, clearly you're. You could we could see your success because we we talk to you whatever. But like you start a project and like you're still working on it. You haven't given up on the shit you're working on, which is awesome. Uh, so when we f- you first came on and we first met you, you like introduced Broke Bust into Disgusted as this project. You were like just starting because you're like fucking crazy and you want to like do yeah. weird shit. And you're still working on it. It's almost done. Can you kind of like catch us up? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we we've had a 
long, long kind of uh, drawn out road on this project. And it probably candidly should have been done six months ago. But we there's three of us that were working on the project and two of my two editors, um, you know, they both have other other gigs or other jobs that they're working on. They're both independents. But one of them was doing a micro documentary for Kansas City Public Television, and the other one has a number of projects going. And so it was finally we got to a point where I just said, "Guys, it is time to fish or cut bait. We have to get this done." Mm-hmm. And I, this is this to me, this is my next two year project. I mean, I will go out and I will hit the road with this video, this film, and we'll show it in high schools and colleges, and we're going to send it out to, you know, the public television stations. And our our intent is to get distribution through Netflix and Amazon Prime and and iTunes and all of that. Um, the film itself will be somewhere between 45 and 55 minutes. So we're probably going to have two versions. The 45-minute version will be released for the high school market. And the intent is to do a 45-minute um, assembly with 15 or 20 minutes Q&A after. And then the 55, or it's actually 56.45 is what the, the length has to be for public television. We'll release that to public television partner stations, ideally with a sponsor on the back end that will help us underwrite the whole thing. And um, the film is amazing, guys. I mean, we we uh, showed a 17-minute preview version on um, sometime in May. It was like May 5th at the Iowa Financial Literacy Summit, which was put on by the governor's office and the Department of Education. And it did exactly what we wanted it to do. And that was everyone in the audience was talking about debt and money and how to borrow for school after it was over. And and I realized after we showed it, it was like, well, this is this is exactly what we wanted, right? We want people to start talking about the fact that it's ridiculous that kids, and I mean kids, 20-year-olds. 20 Not old enough have, to make decisions of, the, oh, of this magnitude. And, and that's the deal. We have this great quote. This one professor said, at 17 years and 364 days, many of these kids have barely even done a load of their own laundry. And that at 18, we expect them to make a $100,000 decision. It's asinine. Yeah. And, and we give them that power with this kind of carte blanche mentality of, well, do you need it? Here it is. And so they, they take it. And, you know, and going back to your original question, Andrew, about how do I know if I've been successful? I think my kids will make far different choices in college than their friends will because of what we've taught them along the way. And, and they won't come out with debt. They'll probably come out money ahead. And so that will be a huge win for me. Um, but as far as the film goes, we are we're literally in the the last phases of post production. So we're doing the last voiceover, you know, uh, segues. We are doing some motion graphic work, which one of my partners, Calvin Johansson, is just a dynamo at doing motion graphics work. And um, and then we'll do uh, color correction and audio sweetening, and and we'll have it ready for release. So. Like when I say we're almost done, we are literally almost to the finish line, and nice. I am just jacked about getting it out. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty stoked to see it. It's 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 really good. Uh, everyone that I've shown it to, you know, I don't know what they expect. Uh, like if they thought thought we were shooting on an iPhone or something, but <laughs> it's a lot of it is it's beautifully shot. The audio sounds amazing. The stories are phenomenal. We have a woman on the film who has $298,000 in student Ooh. loans. And she she wow. has her dream she job and she's or? she's a veterinarian. Okay. And she said I love what I do. Um, you know, I I don't 
you know, hopefully I she said, I don't feel bad about my education, but the debt is something that drags on me every day. So she leaves her dream job and then she drives to Target and she works at Target like 25 hours a week. Wow. Um, and that's just, to, you know, to make ends meet. Yeah. Man. So not, not to like super take it down because that is pretty sucky, but I, I'm like yeah. really excited for you that this is almost a thing because – uh, I mean, I remember when we saw, I think you had like a promo trailer and just like some yeah. clips and we saw this a year ago and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I, I just think the education that will come from this is going to be phenomenal. And it is clearly the biggest like financial problem of our time. It's some uh, well over a trillion dollars in, I want to say like broken dreams, you know. It's yep. unbelievable. I mean, the numbers and the numbers continue to get worse, guys. We We have... It's now 1.3 trillion in student loans in America. About 700 billion of that is is not being repaid right now. It's it's in forbearance or deferment, or the students are still in school. But mm-hmm. of the 600 million that's in repayment, one in three loans are are delinquent, so they're beyond 30 or 60 days late, and one in five are in default. And to be in default in student loans, it has to be over 170 days late. So it's just, it, it, I mean, it's, it's really, really, it's bad. So maybe yeah. I don't understand like the, the whole student loan piece, but for it to be in default, and, and I'm guessing like a lot of this is uh, public loans, like from the government and stuff, right. that means you like have to like not have a job or something because they, they will garnish your pay, right? They will garnish your pay. They will take your, your tax returns. I mean, there's, there's no way to get around paying student loans at this point if they're government, you know, if it's a direct loan from the government. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, technically the government guarantees every loan out there, even the private ones. So every, I mean, think about this. The three of us should go into business doling out student loans because we know that there's a guaranteed return no matter what. And mm. if, if Andrew, you and I loan Thomas money and Thomas decides not to pay, we can not only charge him extra interest and penalties for not paying, but we can sell that loan to a collection company that we also own that charges exorbitant collection fees as well, right? And we get to write the first loan off as bad debt and make money, a lot of money on the collection of the bad debt over time. And that's exactly what's going on. And so it's a, it is such a convoluted system that, you know, that, that bankers and um, big business and Wall Street has has figured out how to how to kind of milk students. I hate to put it that yep. way, but that's what's going on. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. we have we have this great this great quote uh, from a guy in in Wisconsin, and he said, "There are five crimes in America that have no statute of limitations," and then he proceeds to list list them off, and it's like kidnapping, war crimes, treason. Um, and he said, first degree murder, he said, we essentially treat student loans the exact same way. Yeah, basically. I mean, the only way to get out of them is if you're like really and truly destitute, basically living in a box. Uh, otherwise you can't even do bankruptcy. Right. Yeah. This is definitely a topic for another episode, but once the movie launches, let us know and we'll tell people about it. And then that might be a good time for you to be on my podcast as well. Once that movie comes out, yeah, that would be great, Thomas. I, and and I'm I'm pumped. We're going to reach out to the whole uh, podcasting community to help drive this message because we think, um, you know, we think what we're doing it's not about making money. You certainly don't make documentaries to make money. 
Um, but it is about changing millions of families' lives who won't have the debt burden because they're just going to do it better. You know, and yeah. I think that's the key. You got you just have to make better choices and decisions about college today. It's a business decision, and um, we've got to treat it that way. Definitely. All right, guys. So, any other last questions before we wrap up here? I think that's that's pretty solid. Well, and we'll have to just save them for next time because we'll have them on again, of course. I mean, if you will. Of course. Come. <laughs> I, I am so down for a four-peat, right? <laughs> I, this is the three-peat. I'm ready for the four-peat. And uh, also, let's get uh, Adam's TEDx talk in the show notes as well. Absolutely. So that'll be like uh, also a description of the Monopoly game and and basically just the value of real money. So, hey, guys, if you've got questions about any of the topics we talked about today or something else money-related, we are at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. You can email your questions over there. You can also subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen. That really helps. Andrew, I'm, I'm guessing like when reviews come in, you see a spike in the LX and listen numbers, right? Yeah, so reviews, um, they, they don't do like so much for ranking. They help us. It's like uh, new and noteworthy is like a lottery. And mm. every uh, review that's, I think, above a three, and there's like a few other things, uh, like kind of like tickets for the lottery to get in there. Okay. But, uh, what really pushes up on, us up in the rankings is subscriptions. So mm. when people subscribe, we get like a big link and tons of people come in. Like that's when we shoot up to like number three or something. Nice. So cool. Yeah. So if you haven't subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, I, don't, po- po- I use Pocket Cast, I think. Yeah. So that's also another one. Um, yeah. Then get subscribed, and if, if you, you want to write a review, iTunes or an Apple computer, we would really appreciate it if you would go out and buy an Apple computer and subscribe because <laughs> it just helps the show. And <laughs> make sure you use a high interest credit card to do this. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, so today's review comes from somebody named Live at Pompeii from the United States, so they're not actually from Pompeii, apparently. <laughs> they said this podcast came at a perfect time for me i've been a professional poker player for almost six years and i'm about to translate and in, transition into the real world with a sizable resume gap you can't put poker player on your resume i know there's right? gotta be some like skills there <laughs> you'd be a great salesman for a high uh... no doubt <laughs> maybe this is chris moneymaker writing to us <laughs> i have a very solid amount of savings and thanks to this show and betterment but nonetheless this transition poses many opportunities to make financial errors and this podcast has given me perspective to tackle all this logically could not recommend it more for anyone who would like to become more financially savvy without feeling the urge to nap while listening hopefully people aren't napping while listening to this <laughs> I, I nap while i listen are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is what I you put on to go to sleep at night. Ago. Yeah. So, sometimes when I can't sleep, I just listen to this podcast and uh, I fall asleep to the sound of my own voice. Mm. <laughs> cool, guys. Well, you can find our favorite money resources and apps and books and things over at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. That's all we got. So thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for coming to the show, Adam. And we my will pleasure. see you guys in the next episode. Later, guys. Later. Tell your friends about this show.